COVID-19 Market Realities. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. UK Food and Beverage. Hi, my name's Maria Hellier. Uh, I'm head of F&B for the UK and Ireland. And today we're welcoming Hamish Renton, CEO of HRA Global, a um, marketing and research consultancy based in the UK. And Hamish is going to give us some insight into the impacts of COVID-19 on uh, the food retail sector. Here's what he had to say. Hamish, tell us about the situation in the UK market at the moment from a business lens and what's open, what's not, what sectors are doing well, which are struggling. If you sort of look back over the sweep of the last seven weeks, you've had the the almost complete closure of food service. So bars, restaurants, cafes, uh, and food service volumes of, of food, which were classically 40%, um, retail made up broadly the, the balance. And that created a bow wave of uh, demand that effectively went through retail, which it wasn't equipped to cope with. So that was a nightmare for manufacturers to forecast because it came out of nowhere. People switched brands, flavors, sizes, and formats, and people switched entire categories. It proved nigh on impossible to demand forecasts for the first three, four weeks. Uh, And then thanks to some heroics from supply chain and retail colleagues, that initial bow wave of demand was uh, dealt with. Uh, And then into April and into May, that demand signals have got more manageable and more more stabilized. Food services stayed shut uh, and retail has taken up the majority of the slack uh, out there. Tell us about any of the winners in those categories. Who's done really well out of this? What's happening is the in-home snacking occasion is becoming predominant. Uh, And because of that, a whole bunch of shifts have have happened. Wine is the ideal accompaniment to an in-home meal. So wine's had a spike, chocolate's had a spike, in-home snacks. Poultry, fish and eggs uh, have had a spike uh, as well. Pasta was out of fashion uh, for many, many years and it's come back with a bang. There's been some real winners. A lot of the chilled categories have suffered. The more premium niches, the more kind of third and fourth tier flavour have been chopped off as retailers have sought to consolidate range and concentrate on keeping that tight range in, in stock. If you're supplying a multiple retailer right now, it's a good place to be because if your volumes are in stock, they're likely to be shooting up anywhere from sort of 2 3% to maybe 20 23%. The other thing is the retailers are not able right now to get their technical people out to the field, to the factory, to audit sites. And therefore, if they can't do that, they can't bring on new suppliers. So if you're in, your factory's audited, your supply chain's audited, you're able to meet the demand from the retailers. If you're not, unless you've got a brand, you're locked out for the time being. And when those technical managers get mobile, there'll be a massive priority game as to what factories, what fields, what sources, what supply chains they audit first. 
So the big, big takeout is take technical seriously. It's not enough to make the pitch and do the deal because you could be waiting, I kid you not, 6, 12, 18 months to get your supply chain audited. So you have to start with the end in mind. Are you BRC audited? Are you, know, are you SACA audited? What technical standards are you adhering to? Make it as easy as possible for the retailer to say yes to your supply. So I'm a New Zealand exporter. What's my market entry plan if I'm looking at the multiple retailers? Would I shelve plans for the UK for six months, nine months? Would I, or would I be looking at starting to make first approaches now? I think it's a good time to talk. Retailers are in various different states. Um, so at the moment, you know, we're helping a client with a big pitch to Tesco. They, they've done the whole range review. Uh, another retailer has done it entirely online. About six people joined on a Zoom meeting. It went on for three hours. And what you would have normally done at a merchandising center with the fixture in front of you, we were able to do visually. So business is still going on. Um, just bear a thought for retail colleagues, though. They're home-based like we all are. There's a skeleton crew in head office, and they're struggling to reach and speak to stores to execute and to get feedback. Therefore, it's kind of a bit more of a difficult time for them as well. So it's just one of those things that you need to be aware of. But make the approach. You'll, you'll be surprised at the accessibility that the retailers have. They're very tech-savvy. Make the approach, because as soon as you start the more likely you are to inch your way forward to a decision gate. Do I have to make any pivots with respect to uh, sort of virtual pitching into supermarkets? So I think with this electronic form of communication being the dominant form, you have to be more precise, more succinct, and more getting right into the so what of it, right from the gun. You know, you won't have 20 slides to take them on a journey, your story, your philosophy. You need to get across what you're all about, what you believe, what you can bring, and what's in it for them really, really succinctly. Start with the shopper. If you can come up with something that the shopper will get value from, you'll get an audience and you'll get a hearing. Um, if you seem to be just pushing products, pushing goods at a retailer, it'll be hit or miss whether you, whether you end up with something that you want. Do you have any specific examples, success stories? Has anyone got their product uh, lockdown listed? It's too early to say because obviously, you know, six, seven weeks, even the most agile of the retailers can't turn product around that, that quickly. So we're seeing people now hitting the shelves um, in, in June and, and July, um, but those deals were done in November. So there's always a lag between the deal and the execution. September's rain changes have become November. And November's range changes are an inch away from becoming January. And that's because yeah. of that issue that I've talked about of technical resource. Because if you can't make all your changes at once, as a retailer, you're forced into what we call one in, one out. So I'll take that brand out and I'll put that brand in. And again, that works in favor of the incumbents and against the challenge of brands. Doesn't mean you can't do it, but it means it, it, it's more difficult. And a positive though, all the previous models of data, weight of purchase, frequency of purchase, volume, value, rate of sale, all out the window. It means nothing now because we've been through this massive bow wave of, of, of change. So in many ways, all bets are off. 
And I am detecting from shoppers. I mean, we have a panel of over a thousand shoppers that we regularly talk to. And we were talking to them about 10 days ago. And they're getting a bit bored of the same brands, the same products. So this idea of pent-up demand where people will be wanting new brands, wanting new flavors, new experiences, new philosophies, brands that mean something, they, that will build and build and build. Now, whether the retailer can actually do much about that in 2020 is a moot point. So do you think we're going to see something like's happened in Korea with a bit of uh, revenge shopping? Yeah, there's undoubtedly going to be a bounce back. So I expect a spike of luxuries and indulgence. I don't expect that spike to last very long. Um, it will be a bounce and a new level will be found. And the new level will be far lower than the old level because we're talking about the UK economy shrinking by maybe a quarter you know, over the, the, the three months that we're in. So that's a huge amount of purchasing power um, taken out of the economy. And, and if I was looking to come into the market, I would be thinking, which shoppers am I targeting? So that would involve doing some legwork and some research, looking at what's on offer and trying to work out a story and a positioning that actually nails why that product should be in and the other products come out. Do you think people are going to continue to uh, shop online for their, their, their big baskets and then top up in retail? Where do you think this trend is going? The Brits are an absolute international outlier in online shopping. And we were that going into this crisis. And what's happened is that has just accelerated away. So we expect everything to be available online and we begrudge a delivery fee. Um, you know, uh, you know, and we begrudge a, a delivery time. So, um, so that will con continue. Um, and the factors driving that are these days as much about fear of contagion as it is kind of busyness, because you've got almost a quarter of the workforce, frankly, not working. So they have the time. They just don't want to shop because of the, the, the perceived dangers of physical contact and, and contact with goods that have been handled by others. So I can't see that reversing. I, re I, I really can't. You are getting a blurring right now of retailers who do home delivery and wholesalers who do retail because you can turn up and buy things as well. Uh, and in D2C who also do wholesale and wholesale also do D2C. So everything is blurring and people and brands are finding their way to a new architecture of trading. The first thing you need to do is think about your route to market, because that's your biggest barrier right now. You're either going to sell it yourself, you're either going to take an agent, or you're going to take a distributor. And I think you need to put the legwork into which three ways are you going to do that? And getting it right up front will save you literally years of pain down the line. You'll get further and faster if you take it slower and think about that route to market piece. That's the one thing that's absolutely foundational. Once you've got that route to market right, then there's the question of what you're going to put into that route to market. But that is secondary because you could have the best product in the world, but if you can't get it to the British market and service the British market, you won't going anywhere.
not taking the technical accreditation seriously could involve you going a long way down the road, stoking up demand, maybe even doing a deal, samples, Skypes, getting an agent, getting the logistics, everything sweet. But if you haven't got that bit of paper that says you're producing to the correct standards for that retailer, you're, you're again not able to activate your supply chain. And the two fixes for that is get as close to BRC accreditation as you can and do that as quickly as you can. And secondly, look to use your own label or a brand if, if you haven't got one already, because that might gives you a much lighter touch from a technical standpoint. I think we're going to be living with COVID for longer than we think or hope we are. Therefore, I think the idea that you can sit this one out and just wait for the skies to clear is misguided. You need to start making your own luck and you need to start moving, moving forward. Can you come up with some secret sauce to improve the way your product is used to improve that food service operator's offering? They're the keys to success. So I think if you focus on the food and the experience of eating out and how your brand translates and improves that, you won't go far wrong. Just looking at the products coming from New Zealand, do you think that sort of premium sector is going to be affected? There's going to be a dramatic increase in the unwaged population. They'll be in survival modes um, and there'll be a strata of the population who will sail on regardless. Yes, they're impacted by uh, the, the situation, but they're not financially impacted. Um, so they will continue to look for value in the sense of premium. So where a, a, a New Zealand product offers, you know, real clear value, differentiation, points of real purpose, points of authenticity, points of provenance, it'll do really well. That could play well for New Zealand because take wine lists when, you know, restaurants and, and cafes reopen again. A simple paired back quality offer on wine, perhaps a, a really good New Zealand wine, can often be a simpler, more easily understood, more value-orientated uh, product than something coming out of the great, you know, European chateaus and European houses. So I think the simplicity and the authenticity that New Zealand can bring to selected categories is pretty much unrivaled. So I would stick to that, but be be very aware that this will be a situation where that price value equation comes into much sharper relief than, than normal. Thank you, Hamish, for taking the time to give us the benefit of your insight. If anyone would like to contact Hamish, uh, please go to his website, which is www.hraglobal.com. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to an NZT podcast. For more insights and tools to help your business, go to covid19.nzte.govt.nz.